the Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. I am joined tonight by the voices in my head. <laughs> we uh, neither, neither Kelly, who is in Canada, or Charlie, who is in Florida, uh, are in studio with me. So they're just in my earphones. And I, we talked about the logistics of this show, and I said, "Oh, it'll be just like you know, basically post game, where the voices in my head are trying to reason with me." And I'm like, "Nope, I'm yelling over you." Uh, so, but hopefully, we don't do that too much. Let's get to the introductions. Of course, let's start it off with Florida's own Kelly Hinkle. I'm in Canada. We've gone full puck soup, though. I really like this. Yeah, We're just we... spread out everywhere, remotely, Taylor in studio, trying to make us not sound terrible. Yeah, I feel for, like a real professional. For everyone <laughs> who doesn't like know the layout of Wildfire, like Taylor is on a big screen over my one shoulder right now, looking like I can see him laughing. It's very odd. Uh, <laughs> and then you guys are in my headphones. So I'm just sitting in this like recording studio by myself, basically. Uh, and we have the Athletic.com's own Charlie O'Connor. Hi, everybody. So just as a uh, as a disclaimer, I did not watch last night's game because I took my like one night off of the year where I usually go to a concert. So did not watch the game, followed it a little on Twitter, and we'll probably watch it tomorrow after practice because today I was traveling to Florida um, to cover the uh, the upcoming road trip and then also working on an article for uh, regarding the Flyers trade deadline uh, plans and what they what they might do, what they might not do. So just as a disclaimer, I will be discussing everything Flyers related except for the details of last night's game, which I did not watch. All right, Charlie, a couple of things. First of all, don't watch that game. Just don't. Just, <laughs> yeah, don't. Just don't. Second of all, what concert did you see? Uh, thrice. Like a like a, like a post-hardcore emo-ish band uh, with playing their favorite album of mine in, their enti- in its entirety. So had a really good time. Awesome. Great to hear it. All right, so Charlie didn't see the Islanders game. Uh, Kelly, I assume you did. I did. Uh, for anyone who listened to post-game, if your children were in the car or something and they heard a bunch of new words, I'm sorry. I censored myself as best I could, but God damn it, I was so mad last night. Uh, I have I've <laughs> calmed down a bit. But um, I'm going to give Kelly the opportunity to maybe get some venting out because it was very cathartic for me. When I finished postgame last night, I felt so much better about everything. Like, I felt better about the presidential election. I felt better about global warming. Uh, I just felt better after yelling for 20 consecutive minutes. So, Kelly, if you have any venting to do about that game, uh, go right ahead. I'm not much of a yeller. Um, And also... Like you'll be surprised to know, like Charlie, I I actually missed um, about the second half of the game because I was having Internet issues and I couldn't get a stream to work. So I was kind of experiencing the game through refreshing the game center thing on NHL.com and refreshing Twitter, just kind of seeing how it happened. So seeing that tying goal pop up 
And then seconds later, literally, um, seeing them having lost the game um, was uh, the only way that I can really describe it accurately is deflated. Um, It felt very much like being sucked back into the flyers of a year and a half, two years ago, where wins are in reach and they just don't reach out and grab them. And I know that that's not this team this year, but it's kind of like when you've suffered through that for a long time, it's hard not to remember the feeling. And that's kind of what I felt where it was just like, Oh yes, they're going to do it. And they need these two points against a Metro team. They're going to do it. And then they didn't. And it was just kind of like, uh, all right. And that is exactly where my frustration came from, Kelly. It's not that I don't realize you're going to lose some games. And like when they first fell down 3 nothing, like the tweet I put out was, I'm not even mad about this game because this is a tough game and a, against a good team on the road. You're going to lose these sometimes. What I was mad about all over again was the Devils game because yeah. that those were Fair. your two points there that could cover this one. But now this, all the hard work you did to recover from that Devils game feels like it got canceled out last night. And it did feel like we were over this. We were over these flyers, the fall behind 3 nothing in the first period flyers, the claw all the way back just to get kicked in the stomach flyers. I thought we were over that. And that's really Mm -hmm. where it came from for me because this was a huge game. Uh, You don't want to put too much stock into any two points because they all count for the same at the end of the day. And, hey, if they win their next five in a row, who's going to remember this in two weeks? But, God damn it, why, why? Why didn't they just show up in the first period for one of the biggest games of the season? That is my contention that they just – kind of came out and slept walk slept slept walked I guess through the first 20 <laughs> minutes of the game now by the end of the period they won the shots battle 10-9 cool uh that but it's not how it played out could Brian Elliott have played better absolutely in the first period am I blaming him alone no because I saw things like James Van Riemsdyk not moving his feet to try to get back and help out on a two-on-one when Scott Lawton was the only guy covering like they're just It was just too much of the, oh, yeah, a bunch of mistakes early. And they lost the game in that first period. It it went from, we got to get these two points to, oh, damn, maybe we can force an overtime. And that's not what you needed against a team you are in a playoff battle with. This is a playoff contending, top three in the division contending opponent. You had a chance to leapfrog them, at least in terms of point total. And you came out and did this. And then, of course, lost it. 30 seconds after you tied up the game. So I was just really, really mad about it last night. But it gets back to it gets back to something that has been a problem for the Flyers in the past and hasn't really been resolved on the whole this season, despite them being a better, different team. The slow starts. Why do they start slow so often? Can anyone pinpoint what the issue is? We've talked about the offense takes a little while to get rolling just because of the way they play offense with the uh, getting in on the forecheck. It just takes a little while to to really get some rhythm, get some chemistry, get some consistency going. Why are they allowing three goals right away? Yeah, I'm not not sure. I I honestly do think that the – 
the the dump and chase explanation is probably the best explanation we're going to have because that does make intuitive sense. The idea that the way they play the dump and chase heavy offense, it wears teams down over the course of a game and it just takes it a little bit longer for them to really get going because they're not necessarily a quick strike team the way some teams are, but it shouldn't be having this big of an impact. And you're right. This, this isn't a new problem. Like not only is this not a new problem this year this has been a problem for the flyers for quite a while and i guess at this point we just kind of have to accept that it's just an issue with this team that probably isn't going to get resolved this year um and and i i think the slow start thing like we went we went back and forth about them playing on the road and the road record wasn't that good and my belief is that in a lot of ways i thought it was more a fluke than anything else you know, they got they had some bad long trips because of of crappy circumstances. For whatever reason, they always seem to suck on the the, the post Christmas trip. I didn't really think that was you know inherent to the team, like an inherent problem. This slow start thing, I do think is a problem, and I have no idea why it's a problem. But I don't think this is just like well, the random variance and random stuff happens for whatever reason. It seems to take this team more often than it should about twenty minutes to really get going in a game and I, I there's there's no explanation but i do think it's the actual problem this isn't just bad luck like they're actually struggling to get up for these games to start yeah the thing that frustrates me is it's not even just that the offense takes time to get going like they're playing badly in the first period top to bottom and so you end up in a hole every time it's not just that you're skating to a zero zero tie at the end of the first because you can't get the offense going but everything else is going okay. It's like the whole team is just shit for the first 20 minutes of every game. And if we're lucky, it's only a one goal hole. This game, it was a three game hole that they couldn't all the way get out of. And it's just like, I don't, I don't understand it because you could have blamed it on coaching before, but it can't be that now because it's a whole different coaching staff. And then you start to wonder if the crazy people who complain about the core of this team have a point, but I don't want to entertain that because I think it's nonsense, but there is obviously something going on that this team just can't do anything in the first 20 minutes of a game. Yeah. Like there's a bunch of, it's not like, yes, the core, if we're going to call the core, basically Giroux and Voracek, those guys are here, but it's a whole, there are so many players who didn't go through like the whole Hackstall era or even the Baruby time and the Laviolette time when these, uh, when these slow starts were such an issue. So it, it, like, you can't just say it's any one thing, but for whatever reason, it continues to be uh, a problem for them. I thought, uh, you know, it, it doesn't seem like Elaine Vigneault likes, uh, likes morning skates, and a lot of coaches have started to get away from morning skates. Uh, maybe that's a way to get them going, but you think the last time they did that, yeah, it was the freaking Devils game where they got blown the hell out. So <laughs> I don't really – I'm trying to think of, like, a, a quick fix. But like Charlie said, I don't, I don't know if this is a resolvable issue – at this point, even though overall we can point to so many things and go, this team has improved in this area. It's improved in this area. And then you just look at this one and go, yeah, in some regards, maybe they are a little bit the same flyers. I don't want them to be 
Me neither, Kelly. That's, I don't want that to be true. <laughs> it's that. It's that's my nightmare. I don't want to be doing this all over again. And I've been all year on post games, all year on this show. I've been trying to point out areas in which I see that they are different. But this one could end up being the reason they don't make the playoffs, and it is freaking huge. I I don't. It's uh. It, it's it's concerning to say the least. It's it's definitely concerning, and I mean you could come up with you know, 10 different theories. Like another, another theory is, you know, maybe they're not fully, they haven't completely grasped Elaine Vigneault's system yet. And it takes them some time in a game to kind of like get back into the right habits that they need in order to execute it properly. Like there's smart sounding explanations you can come up with, but I have no idea which one or if any of them are actually true in the end. All you can you you talk to the players, you ask them, and they're frustrated. They wish they started out stronger. It's not like they don't want to play well at the start of games. They just all too often are not playing that well in the start of games. And truthfully, even a lot of the games where you know they come out of it zero zero or they come out of it you know up one nothing, like the only reason why that was the case was because the goalie stopped a lot of shots. Like the Flyers were the Flyers have been outplayed in a lot of periods where they came away not down or not down by much. Like mm-hmm. if you're purely just looking at how many periods, first periods, have they been outplayed in terms of having the puck less and creating fewer dangerous opportunities than the other team. I mean, I have to say it's probably about like 70% of the games. And that might even be be being a bit low. Yeah, and last night, Charlie, I know you didn't see it, but goddamn, just watching Barzell. Like it looked like JV squad chasing around uh, like the best player on varsity. It was unbelievable (laughs) how he was the best player on the ice. And there wasn't like a second, especially in the first period. It was just really, really frustrating. And I get it. That dude's good. Like he just beat, uh, you know, Connor McDavid in a lap around the ice at the skills competition. He is pretty damn good, but I don't think there's any reason he takes over an entire period, and you just have no freaking answer for him whatsoever. Uh, another thing that kind of plagued them last night, it ends up not being as big of a deal because, you know, they they eventually get the tying goal. But in the third period, again, they're down a goal. This is a huge game. They've clawed their way back in. They get basically back-to-back power plays. And forget scoring. Forget creating quality chances. Keeping the puck in at the line continues to be an area mm-hmm. of of just, uh, I don't know, dumbfoundedness. They, they can't execute the simple things. They can't put together back-to-back passes on the tape when they have more guys on the ice than the other team. Um, we've talked about the power play ad nauseum, but it was just another thing that kind of that showed itself last night. If they cash in on one of those, suddenly you're the team capable of winning it in regulation, not, uh, not hoping to get to overtime and then you know blowing it the way they did. Uh, I, I think we've spent enough time on last night's game, though. <laughs> Uh, I'm over this. Let's get to some other things that occurred uh, this week uh, and leading up and and then into last night's game. And let us start out with one Shane Gostisbehere. We all heard about stick toss gate. Um, He's hurt. He re-aggravated it. Uh, What what actually is going on with Ghost Charlie? Is there any like, does anyone actually know? Well, what it sounds like happened is that I think I I wasn't... um... I didn't interview um, Vino yesterday, obviously, because I was off. Um, but it sounds like 
he's just it, it's not like it's it's not like the the knee injury has recurred. It's like scar tissue from the surgery, and he's just having discomfort. So they're sitting him down. But yeah, there's it it does seem like it seems like Vino believes they rushed him back, which I I I do wonder if he's kind of like protecting his player a little bit there, like maybe ghost rushed back. That because, was my look, thought. Yeah, and 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 basically, Vino has kind of fallen on the sword a little bit just to make it so like people don't get, get even more angry with Shane Gossesbury yeah. than they already are. Because what you got to understand, and and Shane Gossesbury obviously has taken a lot of hits over the last year from from fans, from media, whatnot. And not to say it's not deserved; he hasn't played as well as he can. But you know, like a lot of guys, he's you know he knows that he's not. Like a lot of guys, he puts a lot of pressure on himself. He he has very high standards for himself, and he knows this year is going poorly. And I think he was of the belief before the knee got so bad he had to have surgery that he was finally starting to, like, figure it out. And then he gets injured, and then he has to do the surgery. And I think he just so desperately wanted to, like, get back on the horse because this year has been such a mess. And it was like, well, now finally I'm starting to figure it out. And then I have to deal with this stupid thing that he just tried to get back as quickly as he possibly could. And then made the whole thing worse. Like it's just been such a disaster year for him. And this is just, I guess, another, just another thing to throw into the fire of, of how much of a dumpster fire this year has been for Shane. Yeah. I mean, I would, if I was him, I'd be just thinking I need to get my ass back out there too. Uh, yeah. Like it, it, during the time he's been out, a, a nightmare scenario has occurred for him. Like fans are starting to come to grips with the fact that, yeah, Robert Haig's fine. Like that's probably something he never counted on having to deal with. Like, oh man, my spot in the top six is, um, yeah, if I'm healthy, I might not be in the top six. So it's, I, I absolutely get, I, I get him wanting to get back out on the ice. Uh, I just wonder. Like my question, thinking about Shane Gostas Bear now is when he, if he finally, you know, gets the knee right, is feeling good, gets back into the lineup, can he actually help the team this year? We all know he can. We all know what he is capable of, what his absolute ceiling, what his potential is. Will he help the team this year? Gun to your head. Can he help them get into the playoffs? Gun to my head. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, and also after Charlie answers, I, I have a question okay. for him about ghost. Okay. So do you want me to give you my answer and then you can ask your question? Yeah. Will yeah there's, he, still a gun, there's a gun to your head right now. So will he answer. be back to help the team? <laughs> will he come back and help the team this season? I would say yes, because I still think the biggest place he can help this team is on the power play because mm -hmm. In my mind, and I know he's got a lot of goals this year, Ivan Provorov is not a good power play defenseman. Like, he's gotten goals. He scored on some kind of some fluky wrist shots that go through traffic and take bounces and stuff like that. But he's he's not – you talk about keeping the puck into the point. He's not that great at that. He doesn't really have a, an overpowering slap shot. And I think he just – I think one of his strengths at 5-on-5 five five with the puck – is how he kind of can slow the game down. Like even that goal he scored at five on five a couple of nights ago, you know, he, he kind of just was skating laterally, like surveying the situation and then takes the shot, gets it, you know, snipes the top corner to me on the power play. You have to make decisions with a puck quicker. And I don't think that's just, I just don't think that's his style. I don't think that's what he's good at. 
I think he prefers to slow it down. I just don't think that's conducive to a great power play because a power play, you want to be whipping the puck around. So to me, if Shane Gossesbear helps this team, the best way in my mind for him to help this team is get him healthy and get him back on power play one. And, and then hopefully that can make the top power play unit at least workable for the, for the playoffs. Cause obviously right now it's, I know they they've moved back to something similar to what the you know the ideal hand in this power play has been, but it's still not that great. And to me, that's where Ghost can help the most. If he helps, I would expect it to come on the power play. But at the same time, for that to happen, they have to put him on the top power play unit. And I don't know if they'll do that. Yeah, what is why uh, this getting back to the power play? Yeah, it's not just. It seems like it's not just Provorov. I think you do need like a quicker trigger man in that spot. But just watching He's the bad. yeah oh yeah absolutely. But watching that power play, everyone when they get the puck on their stick. There is so little movement away from the puck. Everyone's slowing it down. There's just so little going on. Like, it's not shocking that they can't create a bunch of chances because the defense is outnumbered and has more than enough time to make adjustments as the puck moves because it moves so slow and no one is trying to, like, get free. Their strategy, I don't know what it is at this point other than stand around and hope someone else passes them the puck in in a in a perfect in a perfect spot it's so freaking slow there's so much standing around is that just a symptom of is it just a symptom of Provorov or is it everybody I, I think it's everybody at the same time though like there never was a lot of motion when the power play was good either like they it was always a pretty stationary power play I've actually seen more motion over the last I obviously didn't watch last night's game but over the the, the two games before that I thought they were running a lot more plays you know they were having guys come from behind the net they were they were doing more things but i don't i don't necessarily think everybody standing still is a terrible thing because they made it work like that for six consecutive years at least the top unit did i just think that if you're going to have that type of power play you better be making quick decisions with the puck and you better be passing accurately and you better be shooting enough to you know to keep them off balance that's what's been missing for in my mind and can Ghost help on that front? Yeah, I think he can. I think he he makes decisions with the puck quicker than than Ivan Provorov does. Again, whether he's going to get that opportunity, whether he's going to get healthy enough for them to feel comfortable putting him in that opportunity, whether they just don't think he's a good fit because he's not playing that well at all. I don't know. But it, my the, the way I envision him helping the team would be to get back on that top power play and, and improve it. Now, Kelly, what was your question regarding okay. Castle Spare? Yeah, I don't know if you can answer this, but I certainly can't. Um... But there's been a persistent narrative about Shane Goss's bear that popped its head back out of a dark hole again once he threw a stick up in the air, which apparently is just like the worst thing you could possibly do at a practice. Um, This persistent rumor that he is an asshole who is uncoachable and that's why he's been playing bad and that's why he will never play good again on this hockey team and should be traded. Have you ever seen any indication that Shane Goss's bear is an uncoachable asshole? that is unredeemable here. So the first thing I'll say is that I certainly do not think Shane Goss's bear is an asshole. Um, his teammates like him. He's a popular guy in the locker room. He gets invited to team to teammates weddings. Like you don't do that if you don't like a guy. So I certainly do not think Shane Goss's bear is an asshole. And anybody who's saying that, I just don't think they have a good read on, on him as a person, the coachability thing. I do think there's something there like, I just think he's a guy where 
he has his skill set. He knows what he does well. And he just wants to go out there and do what he does well. And it's, I wouldn't, I, I don't, I don't know if stubborn is the right word because I think that's going a little bit too far, but it's just, you know, when, when there are suggestions made for his game, he'll listen and he'll try. But in the end, he just kind of goes back to the things that he does well, his comfort zone, like Rick Wilson, did a really good job getting through to pretty much every single defenseman after he took over the assistant coaching role midway through last season. Ghost was the one guy he couldn't really crack. And again, it wasn't a case where I think Rick Wilson disliked Shane Goss's bear as a person. Like I talked to ghost about, about Rick Wilson for a piece I did last year in like February. And, you know, ghost was, was laughing about the, you know, the stuff that uh, some of like, you know, his, I, like I guess like his light more low, lighthearted moments. Like one time I think he took a uh, he took a puck to the to the head or something in um in a game and everybody was laughing about it and Ghost was kind of cutting him up for it. Like so it's not that Wilson didn't like Ghost, but I believe I think he went on a podcast. It might have been Thirty One Thoughts or one one of the national podcasts, and they asked him about like connecting with the defenseman, and he essentially said like I wish I could have done more for Shane Goss's bear. I wish I could have, you know, been able to, to help him unlock his game the way I felt like I was able to do with a guy like Travis Sanheim. So I definitely think there's something to it that he's, he's tough to coach. I just think there needs to be a distinction made between, you know, yeah, he's a little tough to coach with he's this irredeemable asshole. Cause I certainly don't think that's true. Yeah. I, 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 oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Bill. I was just going to say that I like to me, um, as a very much not hockey professional, like that to me speaks more to the coaching staff than the player. Like if you have a player with a particular skill set, this is the skill set that he had when your team brought him on. This is what he's good at. It seems to me that the onus is on you to utilize that skill set to the best possible way that you can, rather than try to mold him into something that he's not in a way that frustrates him and makes him play terribly. Like I, in my mind, that's more on the coaching staff than the player, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from on that front at the same time. Like there have been multiple coaching staffs in Philadelphia that have all at times struggled to get ghosts, you know, on the same page with them. So, you know, yeah, in theory, I don't disagree with you in that if you have a skilled defenseman, you know, find a way to get through to him. That's your job. You're the coach. But it's also fair if like multiple coaches have had trouble getting through to him to say that, you know, he's the tough guy to coach. Like in yeah, there's an element of like a hockey manism there, but at the same time, like this doesn't happen to everyone. Like not every, you know, every there's a ton of skilled defensemen in the NHL. There's a ton of guys who are offensively oriented. That's the way the game is going. But you don't hear that all of those guys are on the same page with their coaches. Like some guys are just easier to coach than others. And like I I, I do not believe Ghost got along with um God, who was the uh, who was the assistant coach before Wilson? I'm blanking. Um the deep Gord Murphy. I don't think he got along with Gord Murphy. Um like particularly well and i think like that a lot of that stemmed back to his second season like the, the season where he got where hack was scratching and i think even in, in that case like i think ghost was right 
because basically they were trying to have him play safer and you not know, take as many risks. And that was where that comment at the, at the exit interviews came out where he basically just said like, well, oh, I just, you know, so decided to just like stop listening and play my game. And that was, you know, very much like a shot across the bow of the assistant coach. But I think in that case, he was right. Like, like more, at least more right than wrong, but it doesn't change the fact that like, it is still your job to, you know, not, frustrate your coaches like that is part of the job so i i see both sides of it but as i said you know if you've if, you, if you've had trouble getting on the same page with multiple coaches it's fair to say that you know you're a little bit tougher to coach than the average player okay i'm i'm done hijacking the show bill oh no it's fine uh no i i was just gonna i was gonna follow up with kelly's thing i agree kelly that like it's on the coaches to best utilize a player like shane goss but i do think just the kind of player he is he is a rover, and think about where he has had his best moments. He's kind of a freelancer. His best moments have been on the power play, and think about that rookie year, how dynamic he was at three-on-three three when it is kind of just an instinctual go-make-a-play sort of thing. But to get away with being the kind of player Ghost is, you always hear, like, the kind of player Ghost is, You have the coaches go, no, 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 yes, way to go. You have to follow it up with the yes, way to go, otherwise mm-hmm you're just out there taking risks that don't play off. Like if you have a prime Carlson or a prime Brent Burns, like Brent Burns, perfect example. Does he play within any sort of structure whatsoever? No, but he's scoring at a point of game pace. So guess what? You're going to let him do what he's going to do. If ghost is out there putting up 30 points, it's like, yeah, well um, you're not really doing anything to help us. So uh, how can we a coach like Elaine Vigneault, who comes in with the stated goal, we are going to lower our, our, our goals against average by one whole goal. And then Ghost is out there not playing at all within the structure. There does need to be some sort of compromise there. Like, yeah, a coach can't look at uh, a Mike Vick and go, you know what we're going to do? Run the West Coast offense. We're going to go three-step drop, quick decision, get the ball out of your hand. Like, that's asinine. You have one of the best athletes of all time. Let him do his thing. Shane Gostaspare hasn't been that guy in two years. He hasn't been a guy you can just turn loose because he's going to turn it over or make a bad decision or just you know not do what we think ghosts can do so it's a really tough situation that makes me wonder is a change of scenery just best for him at this point maybe for for him it might be it, it, it very well might be you know from a flyer for the from the flyers perspective obviously the preference would be he figures it out here and yeah. i haven't given up hope that he's going to figure it out here i think he can i mean he had that that second year where everything seemed to go go wrong for him, and then he followed that up with his third season, which was uh, probably his Phenomenal. best season yeah. as a player. Yeah, so there's there's definitely hope that he could figure it out, and I don't think this knee issue is, is helping the situation much because he's – historically, he's kind of been a guy where there's there some guys, I think, who can, like, be injured – and still play very well, and then you find out, oh, he was injured. Wow, that was a surprise because I didn't notice. Ghost is definitely the kind of guy where, like, when he's hurt, it really impacts his game. And maybe that's just because he's not, like, the biggest guy in the world, that he really does need to be closer to 100% to be himself. You know, 80% of Shane Gosper isn't very good, whereas 80% of Sean Couturier is still pretty darn good because the way Sean Couturier plays, he doesn't have to. Yeah, uh, just the type of player, to get to Charlie's point, the type of player that, that Ghost is, he is undersized, and he, I think, depends on so much of that sort of 
athleticism and ability to do that stop-start move like and get so much torque for a little guy to be able to crank a shot like a ghost bomb and everything. If his knee's hurting, if his groin's hurting, something like that, he's just not going to be as effective because he depends so much uh, on his physical ability rather than his hockey IQ. Uh, I want to move on to Morgan Frost now. Uh, Morgan Frost came out of the lineup on Tuesday night because Joel Farabee is back from his uh, from the illness that he was suffering from. Uh, Farabee lost 10 pounds while he was sick. I just want to know, first of all, has anyone ever lost 10 pounds when they were like, do you guys often lose 10 pounds when you're sick for like a week? Only. I know, right? Like, I, had pneumonia <laughs> no. a couple, I had pneumonia a couple years ago, maybe lost a pound, could barely move. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of weight, especially for a guy that like, doesn't have any body fat on him like so he's just losing muscle which is wild yeah that's what they were saying like he's only 171 pounds if he loses 10 pounds he's freaking little uh but mm -hmm. I, I, do you think this was coronavirus first of all i do not definitely believe it was coronavirus. okay good i don't know what coronavirus it, it is because i refuse to watch the news yeah. but it sounded like coronavirus to me it definitely wasn't coronavirus, although apparently Scott Lawton was joking with Joel Farabee about it being coronavirus. Oh, that's good. Uh, so Morgan Frost, <laughs> Morgan Frost coming out of the lineup, uh, you know, with Farabee, they weren't sure when they were going to get him back in. And it seemed like that that fourth line has really been rolling and they were going to mix and match to see what was going to go. How did you uh, how did you feel about the decision for Frost to come out and, like, you know, a Bunneman to stay in? I don't know. I mean, Bunneman's been playing well. Like, you can't argue against that. But in my mind, the potential that you get from Morgan Frost is worth having him in the lineup, especially at a time when you need to win all of your games. All right, I think we have lost Charlie. I am not able to hear him at this point. He's just basically been in and out for a little bit. So, Kelly, uh, I'll just talk to you about Frost. Yeah, like, okay. I, I don't know... Uh, I don't know if it's – I know how they want the fourth line to work. That's the thing. I know they just want it to be this um, this four-checking machine that just gets in and eats minutes and does what it's been doing, and they've been effective. So I'm not crazy about taking, uh, taking that part of the lineup apart, especially when we're kind of mixing and matching in other parts of the lineup. They've been good. I don't want to, I don't want to punish Connor Bunneman, but looking at maybe what they're able to do, you know, in the playoffs, would you think maybe that's the time Morgan Frost can, uh, can kind of step into a fourth line role? I mean, you would think so, right? Like, I understand that you don't want someone like Morgan Frost playing fourth line minutes because you feel that he needs to develop by playing a lot of hockey, which fair, but like you're saying in the playoffs, um, I don't care. I just want us to roll the four best lines possible to win the hockey games. So in my mind, you would rather have a frost than a Bunneman on your fourth line in the playoffs. But then again, if you're going to do that, you kind of need frost to be playing with the team heading into the playoffs. So it's not, you can't just like dump a new guy on in the first round and hope that, that all works out well. Like you need to have them play together a bit. So I don't really know what they're going to do. I'm assuming Charlie's going to tell us that he thinks Frost will be back up at some point relatively soon, which cool, but I just kind of wish 
they would give him the same chance that they've given Faraby to kind of work through tough spots and find his game again. Cause Faraby did have a, a, a few games there where he wasn't looking great and they let him stick and play through it. Now he's like good again. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I wish that they hadn't sent him back down, but as you're saying, can't really take that fourth line apart now. And if you don't take the fourth line apart, where do you put him? I don't know. That feels like somebody else's problem to figure out, but yeah, I want Morgan Frost on the team. I uh, well, this is this is can, why I oh go ahead Charlie you're back. Yeah, can can you guys hear me? Again? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Um, first question I have, Kelly. They did I miss something? Did they send Frost back down again? He's not back down. No, oh, I thought they did. So Frost, obviously, he's still with the team, and he could come back in. I, I guess my thing with Frost is that like. I'm I'm certainly not saying he's been bad, but I don't think he's been so good in the NHL that I just want to keep like throwing him out there. I mean, truthfully, like I I think I think Frost was fine in you know in, in the you know what did he play? He played Saturday. Yeah, yes, yeah, he was fine on Saturday. I think I think he he was fine on Monday. I think Connor Bonneman was better than him in both of. So in all honesty, like, yeah, I'm I think saying, yeah, I think Morgan Frost is, is going to be the better player. Maybe right now, Connor Bunneman is playing like the better player. So play the guy who's playing better. And this is why I hate healthy scratches. You're, play, you're paying these guys. They're on your roster. I don't understand why they can't sit on the bench because for the most part, I don't want a player like Morgan Frost uh, playing fourth-line minutes or something like that. It's, it's not good for his development. But I, when I look at Morgan Frost, I see a guy, who, maybe not too good for the AHL, but I just see a guy who needs to learn the NHL game, and he can't do that anywhere but the NHL. I don't have a problem with him playing limited minutes here and earning more time, but I don't see anybody that he's necessarily playing better than that you can take him, like take someone else out of the lineup for the potential of Morgan Frost to make that awesome backhand move that we saw in his first or second game, whatever it was. Like, I, I see both sides. It's one of the things that makes me really hate healthy scratches, but what do you think about Morgan Frost playing fourth line minutes, Charlie? Like, do you think that would be detrimental to him at this point? No, I don't think it would be detrimental at all. And the Flyers have the the depth right now, shockingly enough, where it's not like he would be playing with scrubs. I mean, Michael Roffel's a good fourth liner. Nick Albequibel has been really good over the last couple of weeks. So it's not like he would be with, you know, Chris Stewart and Yori Laterra and Dale Weiss. He would get decent line mates. I just don't know. The one thing you do have to remember about a fourth line, and this is you may again, you may say this is a hockey man type type approach, but it's just the way things are. Because fourth lines don't get a lot of minutes, there is an element of coaches want them to play a certain way. Yeah. And that way is, you know, north, south, don't take a lot of risks, get in on the four check. Basically, don't make me regret throwing you out there. And that's not really Morgan Frost's game. Like, more. When when Morgan Frost hits the ceiling, like he's not knocking mistakes, he has to make turn him into an offensive dynamo. It's kind of the same thing with a guy like Jake Voracek. Like Voracek is going to have turnovers because he tries high difficulty plays. Morgan Frost is going to have turnovers because he's trying to make plays. And I don't know if that's I know there's nothing inherently wrong with that approach. I just don't know if that's the 
kind of approach that most NHL coaches, Vino being one of them, want as their fourth line center, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. No, that's I think the number one reason to not have him in the lineup is because you want your fourth line to play that role. And that's not necessarily his role. And like you said, listen, I haven't been blown away by Connor Bunneman, but the more I see him, the more he looks. It looks like he's getting more and more comfortable uh, in that sort of uh, in that sort of just forecheck, eat the minutes, do what you're supposed to do. Don't make mistakes. I mean, they had a couple of shifts. Uh, I think it was Saturday's game. Like after a goal, they came in and just start like did exactly what you want a fourth line to do. Like we I, we talked a couple episodes ago. Like why do they always put the fourth line in after a goal? And then they came in and did exactly what they were supposed to do. Like it was picture perfect. And I, I I'm. As much as I want to see Morgan Frost, and I think he needs to play in the NHL to be able to, you know, become the player he's supposed to play, I just don't know who you take out. That's the that's the thing there. All right. So the Flyers blew it. They absolutely freaking blew it by not showing up in the first period against uh, against the Islanders on Tuesday. We must move on, however. And looking at the schedule ahead, uh, l- looking at the schedule before the deadline, they have what one, two, three. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six games before the trade deadline. They're at the Panthers on Thursday, Saturday. They're at the lightning. Uh, that's why Charlie is in Florida. Then of course, next Tuesday versus the blue jackets. Then they go to Columbus for the blue jackets game. Then next Saturday versus the jets into, uh, before Monday's trade deadline. What do they have to do in this stretch to convince the general manager you should do something to improve this team for this year, even if it's minor, like we talked about, going and getting that depth, someone maybe better than a Connor Bunneman, someone maybe better than Scott Lawton who knocks Scott Lawton down to the, to the fourth line or something. What do you think they have to do over these next six games? Four, they need to win four of six, preferably four two of them being those Columbus games, those Columbus games are just insanely important um, as far as making the playoffs goes. So I don't know. They need to, I think, show that they can win big games. And to this point, those two Columbus games are the biggest games. It's five games too. I I don't know math. Charlie's not in front of me to tell me my math is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. They need to win, essentially. Yeah, I I just think that, I think truthfully that I don't think Fletcher's approach to the trade deadline is going to change much based on these games unless they, like, really fall flat on their face. Yeah, like, if they go one and four, okay, yeah. Yeah, then maybe you're like, well, let's just ride out with what we have. Like, there's a chance that Fletcher doesn't make any moves. That's the way things could play out. But I don't think that... Like, I don't think this is a situation where if the Flyers go, you know, two and three over their next five versus going four and one, that Fletcher says, okay, well, I would have made a trade if we went four and one, but because we went two and three, I'm not. Like, I think Fletcher is going to try to make to make moves to improve the team if he can. I don't, I'm not expecting him to be like trading away first round picks and you know trading away you know Igor Zamula or Bobby Brink or Cam York to get like a big piece I'm not expecting that but I think he'll he'll look to add because he wants this team to be in a run and he wants to give them reinforcements if he can but I I don't I don't totally agree with the framework of like this stretch will make up Fletcher's mind as to what he's going to do I think his mind is pretty made up that 
I'm probably not going to be going for Chris Kreider, probably. Yeah, yeah. But I'm going to try to make ads if I can. And I think that's that's the approach unless they like lose all five. And then suddenly you're, you know, seven points out of a playoff spot. And then it's like, well, maybe I shouldn't give up a draft pick. Maybe we should just ride it out. Yeah, just look at it like this is they are in an advantageous position simply because they have games against teams who they are in competition with. And looking at this schedule, just like, yeah, the lightning game. All right. You can kind of, it's on the road in Tampa. They're never good in, in the state of Florida and Tampa's freaking awesome. So we can kind of if they get a point out of that game. Great. Cool. But at the Panthers, both Blue Jackets games. And then a home game, I think they need to win all their freaking home games because of what they do on the road. So that Jets game's pretty big. Like I think they really need to go four and one to give themselves. Uh, obviously, every like every two points, they're all the same. So you need them badly. But man, they need six, eight points out of these five games, easy. That would be nice. <laughs> Make our lives less stressful. I really, yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead, Charlie. I, I, I think those Columbus games are big as well, not just because of the playoff implications, but also because, like, they're not facing a Columbus team anywhere near full, near full strength. Yeah. You know, Seth, Seth Jones is out. Cam Atkinson is out. Like, these, are, these aren't just good players. These are, like, their best players, and they're out for an extended period of time, and you're getting to face that team without some of their best players. You got you, you have to win at least one. Ideally, you want to win both. You want to you want to kind of you know really drive a knife through their playoff hopes while you can, you know, because those guys. I I think I think Seth Jones could be back for the end of the year. I'm not quite sure what Atkins's timeline is, but like they come back, then maybe they're back in back in the running. But you got to take advantage of their weakness now. They're 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 undermanned. They've lost some big players. Let's 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 drive a, let's drive a stake through the heart of their playoff hopes. What's the uh, what's the playoff frenzy down there in Sunshine like for you right now, Charlie? Are Panthers <laughs> fans just fucking pumped? They got Joel Quenville, they got Sergey Bobrovsky, they got Huberdo and Barkov playing at an elite level. Is it just like all Panthers all the time? Oh yeah, everybody. You know, you walk into the store, everybody's talking Panthers. They're talking about Barkov winning the Selkie. And no, it's it's Florida. Like, <laughs> you, you expect? And, you know, in all honesty, like I'm I'm pretty far away from the arena, but. Look, we've we've all watched Florida Panthers games. We see what the arena looks like. It's it's clear that they're not super into that team. What's the best vape shop down there that you've seen so far? <laughs> um, haven't really done much looking, to be honest. I, I'm on this like main <laughs> high. I'm on this main highway, and I, the extent of wandering around was walking to Wendy's to get dinner. There you go. That's probably the nicest restaurant in the whole state. Uh, Guns, baby. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> ah, there's like a hard rock cafe or something down there, I'm sure. Um, so I'm going to talk a little about a move a division team made this week. The Penguins go and get Charlie's boy, Jason Zucker, for Galchenyuk, a first, and Kalen Addison. Um, is this like an overpay? How do you think this works out for the Penguins? Seems like a pretty decent deal for both sides. Kind of get something they need. Uh, I, I like it both ways. I think the Penguins got better, and I think the Minnesota got a pretty decent return. What was your read on the deal? I, I liked it. I mean, for, it's obviously going to help Pittsburgh. And the big thing for Pittsburgh on this, you know, for this deal is that he's, he's not a rental. They're going to have him for a few years. They needed a, a scoring winger for this run because um, Gensel's probably out for the playoffs, at the very least, out for the first couple rounds of the playoffs. 
So they needed a scoring winger in the short term, and they got him. But they also, like, Zucker's a good player, and he's not a rental. They got him for a couple more years. So it makes them better. You know, I'm a I'm a Kalen Addison fan, so I, I like that pickup for Minnesota. Obviously, when you're in a situation like the Wild are in, you want to get first-round picks, so they're picking up a first-round pick here. That's big. And with Galchenyuk, I know that – I think a lot of people saw that trade. They saw Galchenyuk included. And they're like, oh, my God, why do they take Galchenyuk? That makes the trade worse. Like, he's an expiring contract. Yeah. This basically this basically gives Minnesota a month and a half to take a look at him and see if maybe they think he could be part of the future and they might, might want to try to re-sign him or just let him go. Like, this, he was included in the deal to make the numbers work more than anything. And Minnesota probably figured, well, you know, he's a former top 10 pick. Maybe we get a look at him. Maybe he, we find out he fits in well here and we resign him. We basically just get, um, you know, get a chance to get to know him as a person. So I didn't mind that ad, but, you know, from a Pittsburgh standpoint, I think Zucker will help them out a lot. So it sucks for the Flyers because you watch one of your best rivals get better. Galchenyuk turned like 26 the day after the trade or something. How is that dude not 35? I feel like I've been hearing his name <laughs> my entire life. Like he was in the Yager draft, I feel like. Uh, is, right. Does he just stink? Like, is that like, what's his deal? I don't know. He, I mean, he might just stink because he can't seem to make it work anywhere. Like he had a 30 goal season. He looked like he was on a pretty good trajectory for the first two, three years of his career. Like he's the type of, I'm not saying it's him. I'm just, when I, when I talk about what I think they could get back in a potential Shane Gostas bear trade, it is a player like Galchenyuk who maybe just needs a change of scenery. Like maybe ghost does. And I'm just trying to get a read on a guy like him. Like, was it just beginner's luck? Did he get comfortable? I, I can never, I never understand a guy who's good early and then declines so rapidly. Yeah, I mean, I, I hesitate to say he needs to change the scenery because he's got. Yeah, he's gotten scenery. multiple changes. Yeah, yeah, like he's been bouncing around for the last couple of years. I think really what it boils down to for him is that he just sucks at defense. Like he's got the offensive ability. Everybody knows that, even though he hasn't been scoring much this year. But he's just a sieve defensively, and unless he can. Either, you know, maybe it's a case of he he needs to go to the right team. He needs to be with the right coach who can figure him out, who can at least get him to the point where, you know, he's, he's never going to be a superstar defensively, but maybe he's passable. And then therefore, you know, that allows his offensive abilities to, you know, provide the value it can provide without him giving it all back on the other side. But to me, that's what happened with him is just teams figured out how weak he was defensively. And now they just take advantage of it. Sounds like he needs to go to the Florida Panthers because that team just doesn't seem to – they don't seem to give a shit about the – I know they have Barkov, no, they and I know, I know that their whole uh, let's give away Marcia So and, uh, and Riley thing was because defense wins championships, but my God, they just, they just attack. Like they're, watching them the other day, I haven't paid that close attention to Florida because who the hell wants to? They do not play the way I thought they did, and man, they, they're kind of fun. Like I don't think they yes. could win, but they're – kind of fun well the, this is quenville though i mean this, yeah. that was one of the reasons why you know i when we were talking about coaches it was like look i don't know if quenville's like the perfect fit but he would be fun because he coaches fun hockey i mean he coaches offense first running gun hockey he's always done that i mean that's why there's it's the way those chicago teams played it's clearly the way his florida teams playing but yeah you know considering who they have you know you would think they'd be a little better defensively but Based on what we saw on uh, on Monday, they certainly didn't look very good at it. All right, uh, we have a few minutes left, so I want to talk about something that happened last night with Jay Bowmeister. 
How wild was that? He has Jesus. a he has a cardiac emergency uh, during the game. Uh, it sounds like the uh, in arena uh, emergency uh, response was was really strong to get him to the hospital, and uh, it looks like he's going to be okay at least health wise. He's alert and everything and all that, but. We have seen a lot of emergencies happen, and the game goes on. I think they made the right call, or at least I don't have a problem with the call to postpone the game. But what did you think when you saw that they were going to pick up the game at a later date? I think that's – I mean, I don't know how you make any other decision in that situation. They haven't done that in the past, though, right? Like That's what surprised me. I I don't think it's a bad decision. It's just they haven't before. Yeah, like there have been other times where guys have collapsed on the bench or collapsed on the ice, and it's one of those. Usually, it's been the show. The show must go on, but maybe. I mean, we found out today that like his heart stopped. Yeah, and he yeah, he was dead. Yeah, like he had to be revived. So I don't know how much the players knew of what was going on, but if they knew that like their teammate was essentially dead and then came back like yeah i could totally understand why if that was knowledge throughout the team that you're not going to be able to play a freaking hockey game after that oh yeah no I, I can't imagine like okay yeah let's focus on the hockey now our buddy just almost died like i can't uh that i didn't have a problem with the decision i just thought it was crazy because we've seen medical emergencies before and then they continue to play the game um all right so i just want let's close the show because i did a lot of complaining especially last night and i had a lot of questions for you guys so i want to close the show with give me one reason to remain optimistic after the performance that ripped my heart out last night i'll go first please do charles okay (laughs) um you remain optimistic because this team is better than more than half of the other teams in the National Hockey League. They're a good hockey team. They do some dumb things from time to time, but the playoffs are absolutely within their reach, and there's no reason why they should not make them apart from shooting themselves in the foot. So as long as they don't do that, we should be fine. It's a good hockey team. We don't have to pretend they're not a good hockey team. I like that. I like Thank that, you. Kelly. Um, I will say this. This is something I uh, I tweeted out, I think, yesterday before the game when we were talking about the whole Morgan Frost getting scratched thing, is that it's pretty darn impressive that the Flyers right now have 13 forwards that are playing well in their roles at the NHL level for a team that's right in the playoff race. And that includes the fact that Nolan Patrick hasn't played a game and Oscar Lindblom is out dealing with obviously the, the, the cancer diagnosis, but like the depth at forward that this team has is ridiculous. And I think that's something that really will help them down the stretch. All right. My reason to remain optimistic is Carter Hart. We still have Carter Hart and he's all ours. And that's why we shouldn't pronounce his name Kata hot because he's Ugh. not from fucking Boston and we're so not bad. from fucking Boston. So he's bad. ours. So let's keep him ours. But uh, this just coming up with that. I remembered the question I wanted to ask you guys, but didn't put in the outline. Do you think they should look at upgrading the backup goalie position? No. <laughs> well, you, you mean this talk- year? Yeah, you're, you're talking to Brian Elliott's biggest fans. So yeah, you know, I know. Kelly's answer is going to be. I mean, hold on, but hold on though. Like realistically, 
Brian Elliott has held shit together while Carter Hart's been out. He's absolutely fine as a backup. If you want to say, like, you don't want to bring him back and you want to get someone maybe younger or more resilient or whatever, okay, fine, we can have that conversation. But the idea that you're going to trade assets to move on from Brian Elliott now seems silly to me because the fact of the matter is if we are relying on the backup goaltender to win us games in the playoffs, something's gone wrong. And I don't want to believe that that reality can happen. So no, thank you. Yeah. I, I think we can go to just kind of ride with what you have. I don't think Elliot, like Elliot was very good while Hart was out. I don't think he's been fantastic looking at the season as a whole, but as far as backups go, I think he's been passable. And yeah, in the end, like, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go out and get Robin Laner. Get then the Robin dude from Laner the Rangers or Corey Crawford. Okay. Well, no, because if you get, <laughs> well, it's just, it just doesn't make sense. Like I Robin Laner is probably the best goalie on the market. If you get him, he becomes your number one. And then you're not giving Carter Hart the opportunity to be a goalie in a playoff race, which I think is important. You go out and get one of the, one of the goalies from New York. Like those are long-term solutions. And those are guys who want to be the number one. Like we just need send somebody to Latvia to find us an Elvis. Otherwise I'm not interested. There we go. There we go. But it's just, <laughs> I'll I just go to Latvia. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't see, I don't see a fit anywhere really. Like if you, yeah, I mean, if you could, if you could find a team who would be willing to give up like, like a Yaroslav Halak type, like a guy who's very clearly a number two, but a really, really good number two, then yeah, I wouldn't be opposed. That's like be, be opposed to it. But I just don't think that guy's there. Yeah, I don't teams, think that guy. I don't think that guy exists. Teams that have two good goalies out, outside of Chicago are probably in the playoffs, and that's one of their strengths. So probably yeah, not yeah. available. My solution simply is Ustamenko. He's uh, he he stopped like forty okay. out of forty one in his one game with one the Phantoms. Game. Uh, he one looks, game. He's been improving steadily at the <laughs> ECHL level. I say throw him in the middle of a playoff race, baby. He's Belarusian. He has overcome much more than playing. Uh, you know, against the goddamn Tampa Bay Lightning at four o'clock in the afternoon. He's fucking Belarusian. That country still has the KGB. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So that's about all the Feels time. Like a good spot to end. Yep. I had to, I had to get something ridiculous out. This went way better than I expected it to with um with with you guys on the headset. So uh, thank you for uh, giving me your best effort despite not being directly in front of me. I thought we had a good show tonight, and that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Remember to hit that subscribe button. Search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts. Hit subscribe, and then give us five stars. Give us positive reviews. Stroke our egos. You know I need it. Uh, it's good for me. It keeps me happy. It's why I dream good dreams. So keep it up. All right, my name is Bill Matz. For Kelly and for Charlie, have a great week, everybody. 